All right, all right. You know what that sound means. I am Mitch Maley, and this is the Braden to Times podcast. I am joined by my rock star colleague, Don Kitterman, and we have another wild week in Manatee County politics to talk about, don't we? Yeah, there's been a lot going on. So we start. We left off last Wednesday, headed into the wetlands vote. Mm-hmm. So, uh, of course, everybody knows that passes as uh, we all really expected, but I don't think any of us expected such an embarrassment of local government in that meeting. I have been covering Manatee County government now for 13 years, I think. And I got to be honest with you, I've never seen anything just as, like I said, you just as a resident, you're embarrassed by it. Mm-hmm. The, the meanness, the, that moronic imbecilic rant that KVO goes on about Greta Thunberg and <laughs> Soros. And I mean, it was just such, and none of it worked. Like none no. of it played. It was all just like theater. And again, going back to what Scott Hope said, the meetings are just theater. They're going to do what they're going to do. But it was just, I don't even understand the reason for it. I have a, I have a suspicion about that. So I was there in person that day just to, you know, physically be in support and watch how it played out. Uh, as you've pointed out, I, I was shocked. I, I mean, literally, there were multiple moments of my sitting there where I'm like, I cannot believe this is where this this is where we're going with this, folks. Um, but what 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 did stand out to me is we often see uh, Commissioner Van Austin Bridge really likes to wield the power of the gavel, uh, especially to his own benefit or to his own narrative or agenda, and so. Uh, we've seen many times where he is decorum, decorum, right, even though right. he's got virtually no decorum himself um, or, or selective decorum. Um, I mean, we've even seen him shut down citizens. There will be no personal attacks. Time. There'll be no personal attacks. Oh, or, or, or someone who dared to even suggest that the votes you make here today might impact your chance of reelection. There will be no campaigning from the dais. <laughs> uh, but what, what you didn't, see that whole meeting, despite the fact that there was quite a bit of outburst from the gallery. There was applauding at moments, scoffing at moments, um, both when when Commissioner Satcher and uh, Van Austinbridge tried to invoke Trump into the situation yeah. somehow, and they're, they're dying. We believe in a Trump president. We support right. a Trump president. And, we support and, a Biden impeachment. <laughs> and I was sitting kind of in the middle of the room. In fact, a woman sitting in front of me was literally wearing like a rhinestone Trump insignia. Mm. I mean, that's one of the things I think they, they painfully... Uh, miscalculated is how bipartisan that issue was. And to try to make it partisan really kind of failed on its way out the door. Did they succeed in doing what they were there to do? Yeah, I guess they they did. I I think it would have been more effective. Like, again, these are clown puppets that are, that are, you know, carrying out somebody else's agenda, but it would have been so much more effective just to sit there, just to take it, and just to vote. To try to right. sell something so unsellable right. is just, you know, it's it's silly. So but you, in, you, you come across as not a serious person to mm-hmm. be taken seriously. So in those moments where Trump was being invoked, for example, just one example, I could hear, because I was kind of in the center of chamber, <clears throat> I could hear people around me, vo- you know, various voices shouting out, BS. Uh, I am a Trump supporter right. and I, I don't that. believe that you are. Um, Trump wouldn't stand for this or 
you know, various things. Um, and there yes, was, he would, by the way. He's a developer, but go ahead. <laughs> there, was, there was laughter at moments, booing at moments, and never once did Van Austin Bridge redirect or warn the meeting goers to rein it in or knock it off. And I've never seen him not take an opportunity mm -hmm. to do that. My hunch is... It was intentional. For that statement that was written. You see them shouting us down in the chamber correct, right now. Correct, correct. Using communist tactics. Well, and I, and I think what, what going in, I think there was probably a strategic plan that if they went as outrageous and off the rails as possible from the dais, that it would trigger and elicit that sort of response. Yeah, yeah. At the last meeting, the last meeting on the wetlands vote for transmittal, when that vote was taken, immediately following that vote, the chamber erupted yes. in, in angry citizens who were shouting shame, shame, and very numerous things were said. Allegedly, people were even saying threats. I personally didn't hear anybody doing threats other than we're going to vote you out. That was the only threat I heard, not saying it didn't happen, just saying I didn't hear it. Um, so I think that they saw an opportunity that they thought they could trigger and create a scenario that they could use on the backside that like the real conservatives of Manatee County Facebook page or that would maybe work on mailers letter later should this issue come up during the campaign season that all these people voted against, uh, you know, protecting and preserving wetlands or, or mm -hmm. our, our regulations on wetlands, it, it might have given an opportunity for them to create propaganda to say, you know, to further bolster this, it's leftist Antifa, you know, George Soros <laughs> people, and look at how crazy and unhinged they are. And, and I will say... Climate activists, that's it. Radical climate <sighs> activists. I will say that by These ra the radical notion that we might want clean water go ahead <laughs> i know it's so unhinged. way out on the fringe it's clean water so unhinged. radicals um by but by the end of the vote or by the end of that meeting or, or or once they had made the vote another thing became evident to me there was almost no reaction from anybody in the gallery other than toward one another mm -hmm. as they were getting up to leave um and I think that is because everyone who even went there that day uh, went there knowing what the outcome was going to be and just felt that it was the yeah, right thing yeah. to do to put their thought on the record. Mm -hmm. um, Make them face the public as they do it. Yeah. And, you know, I had actually thought about making public comment that day and ultimately decided not to because, like, what would be the purpose, right? But... You know, one of the things I, I was wanting to draw the commissioner's attention to, and, and again, this is giving a lot of credit to the idea that they can be drawn to anything logical or obvious or thoughtful. Um, but I wanted to, to point out to them that, uh, well, here's, here's the last bit of what I had written. Uh, Fewer citizens are in attendance to address you today on this item than when it first came before you. And at the risk of speaking for people who did not grant me permission to do so, I suspect that the lower attendance is not due to any change in the public's bipartisan position and opposition on this particular vote, but rather because your constituents and my fellow county neighbors 
have lost faith and that there will be a fair or unscripted deliberation today or any hope that even educated and thoughtful concerns presented to you will be heard. Yeah, that's obvious. And, and they would have been looking at their phones while you were saying it. And then it would have provided them with even more joy. But there's some of the commissioners up there that, you know, I find it kind of ironic because they're also the ones to talk about Christianity the most. Yeah. But you can really see in the words of commissioners Bearden, Satcher, and Van Austinbridge that they really enjoy being the heels. You know, Van Austinbridge more than any of them. Like, like you can tell yes. that. But they, they consistently, you know, badger and berate their constituents and have this attitude of if you don't support me then you're not what i am which is a real conservative and i don't care about you anyway so there and and it's really ironic coming from commissioner bearden i mean his his you know uh the amount of irony on how he uses the term constitutional <laughs> is bottomless you know, in his case, but I mean, one example was how he kept saying it's unconstitutional as a taking. And then people mm -hmm. kept pointing out that you understand that the actual lawsuits that the county won, that was the issue. The courts were asking whether or not it was an unconstitutional and they taking. And re repeatedly in, said in, no. In front of right. multiple judges. Right. It's not a taking. It's mm -hmm. a land use policy that mm -hmm. is calculated in the density that they're allowed already in, in the entitlements. You're not taking anything that away. That actually is the constitutional right of uh, Manatee right, County right. to have so, in place. So uphold the constitution <laughs> on the right end the way the courts have seen it. And then he makes this moronic comparison where he says, well, you know, the courts, I mean, you know, Roe v. Wade, you know, sometimes 50 years later, you know, they're changed. Who's to say that decision 50 years now? And it's like, do you really even understand what you're saying now? What you're saying now is I support the Constitution except the part that says it's up to the courts to determine what's constitutional, uh, that, that that rests on the, on the courts. Well, I don't support that part of the Constitution or, you know, the first part, like you said, I, I just support the constant. But the, 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 the larger issue there is that when you uh, when you look at those three commissioners, they're missing the part of being constitutional in what a representative democracy, a democratic republic is. And it is, yes, you can run with party affiliation, but your constituency is the entire constituency of who you represent. You don't just represent the people who voted for you. That's not what which by the way weighed against the actual population of this county is almost nothing <laughs> which it's also funny because like you know uh ben austinbridge brought up that thing about oh the the silent minorities out there it's only and you know bob spencer who's you know acting as i don't know what he is bruce lobbyist or whatever <laughs> recently but you know making the argument hey there's 400 some thousand people here this is just a loud you know minority and it's like okay that's fair in the terms of yeah the vast majority of people don't pay attention to anything right, right? they don't even know we're here today right and the if you take that same approach though and say well how many people mr satcher actually voted for you to be a county commissioner it's not that many it's it's a it's, it's a again a very small fraction of mm -hmm. the county um uh, but you're supposed to still represent the entirety of the community. And it's very clear that anyone who knew about the wetland, it wasn't like there was a whole bunch of people sitting at home saying, no, 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 I know about this and I'm fine with it. Right. It was clear that everyone, and you can look at every publication, every I comment. I literally on it, have not run into a single person 
who said, you know, I think this might be a good idea. With the exception of Bob Spencer, I think. Or, <laughs> I think or no, or no it was John Mast. John Mast came up. Yeah. Bob Spencer came up on the right. veterans' public comment. It was John Mast. This is funny. A building it's lobbyist. It's not funny, but the, it is yes, funny. Yeah. Um, yes. So, yeah. So, which, which is another interesting thing that we would have John Mast make public comment at the final adoption yes. hearing for this item, given that much of the pushback from the commissioners, again, is rooted in this argument that, well, this isn't about developers. This is about everybody's property rights. Yeah, yeah, and this yeah. is about the constitutional- Putting your pool closer to- But then to, Mr. You know. Mash shows up and basically says, hey, this is this policy is really kind of a pain in the ass for developers, yeah. and so I support you getting rid. I'm like, do, do you not see this guy is not helping? Right. Well, the <laughs> other the other thing that he did that was useful for us, I guess, was he acknowledged that the BIA, the BIA white, yeah, white paper. He literally inspired. said, "This is why we're here today." Right. Mm -hmm. you, you know the BIA white paper, which which begs the question again. Not that we haven't asked this already. Why did this come forward a as staff a staff initiated, right? Right, as a county initiated. Because it item. doesn't cost money then. Well, and that's what I'm gonna say. What 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 should have happened was when Mr. Mast was done with his comments, Kevin should have directed him to wherever the registrar or clerk is to pay the bill right. that he should have paid. For all the staff hours. I mean, <laughs> right. Or actually not well, for all the staff hours. There would have been an application fee right. and all the other stuff. So yeah, what a what an insane time. Should have gave him the here. bill for the twenty five grand that we gave that oh, knucklehead the the Delisi. The mm -hmm. consultant. Right. Uh the anti science non scientist. Um <laughs> so that's done and then we have an eerily similar item come forward this week in the sense that immediately a new astroturf group springs out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. Uh I believe we determined it was formed on October 2nd, roughly. Correct. And is now a grassroots citizen effort to end a, a homeless shelter that was coming to Northwest Brady. A homeless camp. Yeah. And the, did you see the photo? There was a text yes. that went out and the yes. photo was literally of like, I don't know, the streets of San Francisco. Right, right, right. <laughs> it was like Hyde Ashbury in San Francisco. Um, or to Tenderloin. <laughs> the, uh, the, the, you know, the ass and the, well, first of all, we saw the exact same language as Commissioner Van Ossenbridge used in his county promoted town hall mm -hmm. was we're having a town hall on the homeless shelter. And everybody right. was like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, man. This is veteran housing. It's not a shelter. It's not a camp. It is building affordable housing for veterans. And he got a lot of uh, public scolding. Uh, for that and, and emails mm -hmm. and comments on social media. And when the homeless shelter town hall was held, uh, one of the first things he did was address that newsletter and state that, you know, basically, I'm responsible for anything that comes out of my office, of course. But that was an unfortunate oversight. Yeah. Like, it was unintentional. So, Never. so quite odd or coincidental, one might say, right. that the exact same language mm -hmm. is used when all of a sudden it comes from some other organization. So it seemed very clear that that was there to run cover for the, you know that vote. And it, and it played out oddly. One, it backfired tremendously. You want to talk about a spectacular failure. Whoever paid for that and whoever <laughs> did that, you literally, that was like an epic fail. Uh, because what it actually did was it drove some people there for that reason so that they can see 
oh, this is complete baloney. This is nonsense. This is not anything like it. And it also then ignited the people who were like, wait, what? That were familiar with the project right. saying, this is nothing like the description of the actual project that's right. coming. What are you doing? This is complete propaganda. So it rallied those that were aware and then it brought some people into the issue. Who that had they, no idea. Yes, and then learned, wait a minute, this sounds which, awesome. Which is great because <laughs> all of those people who received that those texts or that, that handwritten, mm -hmm. hand-addressed letter to their homes, the ones who showed up in person, the ones who showed up in person and, and left before public comment because they went on the lunch break and, and apparently people who realized I've been had said, screw this, I'm out of here. Um, and then also whoever might have been watching from home or waiting to see the news stories, what they've now done is taught whatever number of residents that don't trust the text messages and the direct mail and the emails you're getting. And just because some shadow entity calling themselves Safe Neighborhood Alliance or Real right. Conservatives or Manatee Concerned Citizens, you know, I, I think they're overplaying their hands so much that people are learning, hey, if I get some unsolicited communication, I should probably be suspicious of whether it's the exact opposite of what I'm, I'm being told. Because uh, the, the, the level of propaganda that is being organized and disseminated is is epic. And then also, it's extremely annoying. It you know, is. like think of the time that people it's an, spend. It's intrusive to yes. like nobody likes. Nobody spam wants an unsolicited text. Yes. First of all, if I get an unsolicited text, that is that, that yeah. that's not going to you know endear me to a cause. You better better have your stuff squared away, and you mm -hmm. better be you know presenting it honestly. But if you intrude that way like you said i'm sitting down trying to watch a tv show or i'm you know out on a walk somewhere and my phone all of a sudden goes off and i look to see what it is and it's like what's this nonsense and if it is nonsense that that angers you i think it has a uh so while negative campaigning has been very successful i'm wondering whether or not it's sort of played itself out and people are starting to see that, oh, every time I get one of these, if it's negative, if it's not like a positive, like, hey, this is something we're trying to do, would you be right. interested in helping with it, get more information here? But, but the negative, I think people's radar is starting to just associate that with, it's probably BS. Well, and, and we were <clears throat> discussing before the podcast, uh, you know, the, I guess, uh, innate vulnerability uh, weakness of this sort of propaganda is that it works when people don't know they're being deceived, but at the point at which someone comes to understand they are intentionally being lied to for money, right, for yes. a payout, it does not matter what your political persuasion is. Most people are going to be, one, insulted because you thought they were that stupid, and two, pissed off because you're a liar and you and what's worse you're a liar for money that is yeah. what is motivating you to and and as you know this is largely this issue right here is largely what inspired me to even begin reaching out to you and you and I to mm -hmm. initially make contact for me to even end up here because once i understood that someone in this community had figured out 
a significant portion of our constituents do not have time to babysit the commission, Mm -hmm. to be informed on all the issues, to watch the meetings and look at agendas. And they realize we can take advantage of that. They begin to prey on innocent citizens in this community by selling them on fear and trigger words to essentially, well, literally force their hand at the ballot box to vote against their own best, best interest. interest. Yeah. For money, for somebody for, else's money. Well, right. and, and, and I think, you know, up the ladder, if you will, or, or you know, climbing the pyramid of, of where this whole scheme trickles down from. I mean, yes, it's all for money, right? It's all for greed, but uh, people are getting theirs in different ways. Yeah, sure. We've got, sure. you know. Well, just the commissioners themselves. You have commissioners up there like Van Austinbridge, Satcher, Beard, the, the, the ones I just acknowledged that uh, they're making considerably more money as a commissioner than they ever made, you know, out in the wild, so to speak. Um, that's true for almost the entire board. Uh, so that you have this one thing and you have a person like Satcher. I don't know. What's he got? Five kids? And- uh, I think they have. Six kids. Six kids, something like that. The little one's really cute. And and I'm sure the other ones are cute too. Made, just only seen made almost like no money before he became a commissioner. Uh must have been tough. And my understanding is the first thing he did was go out and buy a big brand new expensive SUV or something. And again, I just heard that as hearsay. I can't attest to it. But you have to look at that and say, you can't afford not to have that job. Mm-hmm. And that's a really dangerous thing. And I've seen mm-hmm. that a lot over the years in public office where and you know, especially in a development-driven type place, what you find is uh, you particularly get a lot. And I, I, I would say Mike Ron probably falls in this category. John Mass falls into this category of people who were sort of at least even peripherally in that industry and ended up not making money and ended up having being broke and having financial problems. And you know, that was pretty clear from his, you know, uh, financials when he was running for office last time around that he could really use that job. Uh, same thing a few years back with, um, Baruf ran a former state, uh, representative, Mike Regan and had, was living in a house that, you know, Baruf had given him a balloon loan on that essentially was really shady. But then also you had to look at that balloon loan and say, you can't afford to be in that house unless you, this this was a former state rep who oh. termed out as a state rep. Okay. And uh, he ran him the same year Priscilla Trace got elected. So Priscilla Trace was a grassroots candidate in District 1. She beat Reagan in the Republican primary. And that was, he was, you know, really pushed by Baruf and had all the normal packs and, you know, financial things that, that, that Baruf pushes. <sighs> and, uh, but, you know, we reported on that. I think that was one of the things that tanked his candidacy was people saw wait, there's a massive conflict here. The guy actually right. supporting you also is like giving you some, I mean, you don't get a balloon loan unless you could put 20% cash down and it did not appear that was the case. And then you pay like the whole thing or refinance in like five years. But the so you have to either do one of the things, you either make the balloon payment right. or, or be able to qualify for a refinancing through traditional means or something. So you look at that and you're like, well, you have to get reelected then 
in order to satisfy right. that in five years. So what are the odds that you are going to go against the guy who got you elected when you're literally financially entangled with him one year past, you know, your reelection date? Um, so when you look at those same things and, you know, I would say, I, I would imagine now I do know that the nonprofit associated with the Satchers benefited from some Baruf largesse. Once he got, first got elected, they had that big fundraiser at Pier 22. Uh, so maybe that's improved their financial standing. Uh, and that, that, that's a, that's a whole nother thing that I think, uh, is this common? I, um, because he's not the only commissioner that is affiliated or his spouse has or is affiliated with a nonprofit. Is this a common thing with I, I commissioners would, in the past? No. They've been running their own nonprofits? No, but it's becoming more common with uh, members of Congress and the state legislature. And I'll tell you why. And the other ones are PACs. Uh, we saw this a few years ago. There was um, Senator Marco Rubio got into some... I won't say hot water because nothing ever came of it uh, because it was technically legal, but it started to become very fashionable for these sitting Congress members to form a PAC that was like obscurely to basically what they were forming a PAC was to raise money to help other members of their party get elected at various levels, right? So they would, they would, you know, raise money and then it, this know, is so bizarre. Like, don't it, they have other things they should be focused on? Well, here's the thing, though. <laughs> it becomes a really easy way to funnel money around. Well, here's here's how it ends up getting funneled. <laughs> Hypothetically. <laughs> is that in Rubio's pack, it was something, and, and, and I'm just, I, I don't know it off the top of my head, but it was something like 95% of all the donations they received were used in overhead. And this happens also similarly with nonprofits. It's very common for a nonprofit to spend 90% of all the funds they raised just keeping the nonprofit, the people paid in the right. positions mm -hmm. and the building rent and all that stuff. So the PACs would be run by their wives or their husbands if they're female, and they would take a salary for running the PAC, and then the PAC would always require them to travel someplace to help promote some other candidate or something, and maybe their spouse travels with them, and there's a whole bunch of free travel and a salary for the spouse that's basically supported by other donors that's a legal bribe in my in my estimation i think that's i think that's it, one it, of the way reasons why you don't see the brown paper bag of cash menendez up in new jersey notwithstanding the democrat congressman that got caught with gold bars in his <laughs> uh from egypt in his, in his closet that's old school but you don't have to go to jail that way anymore you don't have to do it that way because shifty people have figured out Oh, you can just do legal bribes, and one of the ways is PACs, another way is a nonprofit, because tell me the difference if the same person that gets you elected and gets these parties in power and writes the big checks to them then also says, oh, I'll, I'll write a $50,000 check to your nonprofit, and oh, yeah, so will I, and oh, your wife gets whatever, a $75,000 salary or whatever, whatever they draw from that or the expenses or the travel, whatever the case is, but that's it legal way to bribe somebody essentially right i mean i i i'm following i can definitely see the potential for that um and it's certainly not very transparent right it, no not at all yeah. and there's no because it's oh well that's my spouse they're they're it's 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 greasy and it's it's certainly not in the spirit of 
democracy, but that's where we're at. Uh, let's pivot now because I want to talk to you about your HR reporting mm -hmm. on Sunday because that was interesting. Uh, why don't you give us a uh, the for anybody that didn't read it yet the TLDR on it as the kids say. Um, so I think most of our listeners have probably heard about this um, idea that um, we were going to the county was looking to outsource many of the internal functions of HR. I, I don't know that we've ever been given a a specific detailed list of which functions would be outsourced, but I think it is to be as many as, as possible, I guess. And the, and the initial idea when it was first pitched by uh, former commissioner Vanessa Ball was that in outsourcing HR to a third party, quote, independent entity, it would remove any um, conflict with, you know, county administration being over it or deputy, you know, um, director, department directors having too much sway. Uh, there was a lot of, we heard over, you know, the last couple of years under Scott Hopes, especially when Scott Hopes was county administrator, um, a lot of accounts from employees who felt they, they, could not turn to HR on matters they would have typically turned to HR on. Because they'd get fired. <laughs> because it, the direct line was, right. they might as well have scheduled an appointment to go sit down yeah. with, you know, uh, former administrator Hopes was kind of how it was right. presented to me. Um, yes, and they would get fired or, rep you know, repercussions of some sort. Um, so that was, that was the original pitch or narrative, I think might be a better way. To yeah. Uh, and then it, it kind of didn't come up for a couple of few, couple of months. And then it came up again, uh, again, at the encouragement of Vanessa Ball bringing it up. And now the first time she brought it up, she told and informed everyone. I had a phone call with a gentleman whose works does HR. He'd like to help us with our HR situation. And then she kind of bleeds into saying, you know, and ultimately might be a good idea to just give HR to this guy, like outsource, but she never names the guy and she never names the company. The second time it comes up, again, there's no company name, there's no individual name, but staff is then directed to move forward on this, you know, sooner than later uh, and bring something back to us because we want to start figuring out how we can outsource HR and what our options are. And so then on June 13th, as part of a budget meeting, there is a presentation from a company called Gallagher Benefit Services, Inc. I think that was their full name. Could be wrong on that. We'll just call them Gallagher. And Gallagher has an existing contract with the county. Gallagher is, I believe, an internationally serving HR entity. They have over 41,000 employees, I believe. If you go to their website, it is right there evident in front of your face that they do private sector, small business, private sector, massive corporations, public sector. They have whole portfolios so a whole portfolio of legitimate, legitimate. historied uh, firm credentials. that has real credentials in this field. Yes. Okay, and go ahead. we have an existing contract with yes. them because Gallagher was- What a, kind of services do they provide now? Well, so at the time of this, I don't know right now that they're providing us any okay. services. I mean, I don't know, maybe they go are. Um, but at the time 
um, that the contract that they were awarded, it was for an assessment of HR. So while Administrator Hopes was there, I believe in 21, mm -hmm. um, he ordered an assessment of HR. He administratively went after it. The board approved it. Um, my understanding is Gallagher did this assessment and there was a brief to Administrator Hopes mm -hmm. with some other individuals in the room. And it just kind of that's where it ended. And so Gallagher was brought by um, procurement to the board on June 13th to give a presentation about what their company does and and moreover to try to Q&A with commissioners about if you hypothetically are going to move forward with outsourcing HR, there's some things about this you should know um, and why this is not that you can't do it and not that it hasn't been done by a But why this isn't as easy as but just it's not just a switch. yes right. and among many of the things that Gallagher tried to explain I think for myself the thing that stood out to me the most was explaining the differences between HR function in a private entity versus HR function in a public entity specifically a public organization who may receive or deal with federal funding mm. on some things. Because according to the representative of Gallagher, who I will argue has a resume that I feel pretty confident she knows what the hell she was talking about, <laughs> um, she made it very clear that there are a lot of um, audit requirements and program, like establishing programs like a like a. Uh, well, I don't know, maybe this is private sector too, I'm not sure, but like affirmative action, um, things like this. Programs, audits, reports that must be accomplished in a public sector that aren't under the same requirement and restrictions in the private sector. And so what she cautioned the board that day was there will be entities out there who maybe have even provided HR outsourcing to larger private mm -hmm. entities. But you should know that the liability is significant because there's so much more you have to be sure to do correctly in a public sector situation. And if they just don't know what all those things are, like mm -hmm. if they're just coming in for the first time and like, I'll learn it as I go, the odds of making a mistake a critical mistake. A right. critical mistake could, frankly, it could cost taxpayers. It could end in a lawsuit or fines or any number of things. So not something to be taken lightly, which which it sort of seemed to be a sort of whimsical suggestion when it first came up, and then it seemed to go pretty quickly. Yes, and so by the end of that meeting and presentation on June 13th from Gallagher, commissioners uh, uh, select Bearden, Ballard, and Satcher were not too pleased with Gallagher, not because of any of the information or answers they received from Gallagher that day, near as I could tell, largely based on that they had gone, Commissioner Ballard, I guess, had gone and scrutinized Gallagher's website yes. and found that there were things about affirmative action plans and things about um, DEI 
integration, program integration. Because again, why would an HR company not offer services that are routinely used by corporations all throughout the country? Well, and, and as, as the representative Gallagher explained, in the public sector, some of it is required. It's not right. optional. Like whether or not you think it's too woke in, in Florida doesn't believe in that stuff. You've still got federal laws right. that you can't just be like, sorry, not doing it. Um, but anyways. Uh, yes, I do recall that their objections <laughs> seem to be over political alignment. I believe yes. it was something to the effect. Somebody yes. said, we don't believe there is politically aligned. Culture. Yeah. Yes, cultural. Cultural mm -hmm. alignment. With this board. With the vision that this, of this board, board Not has. the county, not right. the it massive 2,000 <laughs> plus organization right. that they'd be working with. But do they have, and again, so think about this for a second, folks. Taxpayers, right? Think about this. Not only are they bringing you an attitude of, well, I don't represent you unless you're one of the, you know, minority of people who've ele elected me, voted for me and support me and, and agree with me on everything. Because once, even if you voted for me, we've seen this. Yeah, once you disagree, you're once out. Once you disagree once, you're an outcast. You, you, were, you, you were a spy. You, you're, you're I'd, a, lo I'd love to see the numbers on that, if we could. Yeah. How many people voted for any one of these commissioners? And of the ones who voted for the ones that are up there, how many of those people would vote for them again today? Yeah. Uh, of the ones particularly who've paid attention to anything, right? Mm -hmm. um, the most vocal, it seems very clear that the most vocal supporters of at least... You know, we have one appointee, so I would say of six of those commissioners are not real happy with them. The people that I recall on social media, the the you know, the the more politically active Republicans in the primary that were out front and center for really all of those commissioners, mm -hmm. except Turner, who like I said, was appointed, um, they all seem with 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 <laughs> there are a few real hardliners that that I don't think will ever lose. But that's shrinking. They all, for the most part, seem pretty, uh, seem to be experiencing buyer's remorse. Disenchanted. Yeah. Disenchanted. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so by the end of that presentation. Oh, I'm sorry. So, so mm -hmm. let, let, let me make that point to taxpayers. Not only are they saying we don't really represent you, but then they're also saying as we're conducting county business mm -hmm. with your tax funds, we have an ideological litmus test 100%. that anybody we engage with mm -hmm. must meet the lobbying firm. We went through that, right? Right. We have to switch and that, lobbying and that, that was also a commissioner boss shows up and I know a guy. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I've already got a proposal for it. These, these things are not typically how procurement is supposed to work. Um, that should generally be something... I would non -partisan? think, well, nonpartisan, but also I would think commissioners as a whole should be removed of it, of the process, uh, in terms of identifying any specific. Yes, absolutely. Because one, you could only, you have no expertise in mm -hmm. any of those fields. Mm -hmm. So, so we'd be much better with the professionals in procurement and in those departments, you know, and, and, and worse when there is expertise who is trying to share with you the knowledge right. so you can make informed decisions, you, you don't want to hear it yeah. because it doesn't align with what you want la, to la, hear. La, 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 right? It's very problematic. So that's what's happening. And that should be just as scary as any of the rest of these things. So because of what I know you're going with this, go ahead. Okay. So by the end of that, um, commission chair Van Austin Bridge basically says, you know, look, 
I know we've talked about this and, and I would like to move forward and we would like to, you know, find an entity to outsource HR, which at that point, just through deductive reasoning, clearly they're not going with Gallagher, right? right? So now they've got to find somebody else. Um, and Bob knows a guy. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, and, and um, Van Ostenbridge even said in his comments, I don't usually uh, agree with Vanessa Ball on a lot of things, but on this matter, I do. Um, but And little did we know, because again, at this point in time, the company has never been identified that people are having mm -hmm. phone calls with or whatever. Um, and so Van Ostenbridge states, I appreciate the pr procurement process. I you know, I'm in favor of the transparency provided by the procurement process. However, in this situation, procurement process is really just going to slow us down. So let's just go cut straight to the whatever and see what procurement can whip up single source, sole source, whatever. And this is not verbatim, folks. You can go back and watch it here as exact. And so the board supports it. The direction is given to staff. I believe it was two days after that moment in that meeting that there is an email between an official in procurement and Dennis Cooley of Secure HR where the county is initiating contact to invite him personally to submit a proposal to begin, well, at the onset in these communications, it's being referred to as to do an assessment and work toward you know, outsourcing portions, at least portions of HR. That is very unusual. And I know that the procurement process is not something, I mean, it's not something that I couldn't have even named the procurement division as what it is two, two three years ago. But it's important to understand that when a public same, same could be safe for several of those commissioners, I'm certain. Go ahead. Yes. In a public organization, when particularly dealing in public money, mm -hmm. There are specific procedures, protocols, a whole way. And I've said this before, everything in government is that way. And it's that way so that you can't just say, right. I have the checkbook now of the people's purse right. and I'm going to write a check to my friend right. uh, regardless of whether or not of their he's the best person right. or the price is fair or there was somebody. Correct. That's why we put requests for proposals Correct. out. That's why Correct. we bid the jobs and then vet the companies. Go ahead. And again, it begs the question in my mind, having gone through the timeline of records, who was it specifically who passed the message on to procurement to reach out specifically to Secure HR and Dennis Cooley? How, where did that happen? Because there right. was no advertised, right? It's clear that Mr. Cooley wasn't just watching the meetings and wrote, he didn't initiate the yeah. correspondence, right? And then as the, as the process moves forward, I mean, there, there really is a lot to this. And I, and I hope if this is helpful to anyone who tried to read the story and thought, I don't get what the heck she's talking about, what's going on here. And, and, and not because I'm that smart, just because government is cumbersome. And it's, you know, and, and in these situations, there's a lot of moving parts and flips and flops along the way. It seems evident to me going through those records, there was some massaging going on to work what it was they wanted to do, which is give a contract to Dennis Cooley around and through 
the hurdles that are supposed to be the safeguards put up by procurement and the procurement procedures. So, for example, initially, I guess, his proposal was for $150,000 for two months worth of work. Vaguely described work. That's what I was going to say. To boot, which came with literally no... Scope of work, right? No scope of work, no per hour. I mean, it nothing. Um, and then you see also in the communications, which is very interesting and telling to me as to where the directive may have come from um, to initiate this contract with Mr. Cooley, is Courtney DePaul, Lee Washington, and the procurement official, all at one point or another, write emails directed to the commissioners or to one another or administration where they're updating each other on this process they're going through with Secure HR, and it is frequently written, you know, per the board's direction, we have reached out to Secure HR or accepted a proposal from Secure HR. Um, It very much sounds like someone, one of the commissioners or all of the commissioners, and again, not that it would be normal, but it would be better if during all those meeting discussions, they had an individual in their mind that they wanted to potentially outsource HR, transparency and honesty would have been to simply put it on the record in a meeting. Vote collectively that, yeah, we'd like to vet this person because we think he's really good. We've heard he's really good. Um, But they didn't do that. Uh, So here we are behind the scenes, and this is seen in the emails where then they... The, you know, uh, the procurement official messages Mr. Washington and updates him on this 150. Washington is very concerned. Yes, he, he handled that very well. Evident. Yeah. Um, then that kind of pushes it back. Then there is clearly some sort of renegotiated terms, which are now laid out with more deliverables and a scope and and more uniform to what the process should be. But clearly still, it was less than 150,000 at that point, but higher than 25,000. And I know that because both DePaul and the procurement officials say in their communications over the course of a few days that they are ready to post this notice of intent to award, which is a requirement of any single source contract that is going to be given over the $25,000. Ultimately, we end up under that, which means they don't even have to advertise it. So there was never a notice of intent. Um, Which which seems to be a somewhat common tactic right now. Another, yes. And and, and, And again, if you think about that for a second, people, that that, that is a loophole in which, and I've seen this, this has been done even with you know change orders on different sort of things with government forever. But if you start under the threshold and then just keep adjusting it, you can get up to a really large number without ever having gone through the process as intended. Yes, and I would um, you know say that based on what I have been able to see in the public record and and what was passed on consent on the agenda, it seems pretty evident that they've. They've gotten him in the door, right? right? They've gotten the approval they need for the 18750. But the language also allows and pretty much uh, declares the likelihood that we're going to 
request more sorts of services for more money is is coming and so so let's look let, let's move jump to the next part of the story because i think everybody probably sees this coming why are they probably not going through the normal process and what are some of the real big red flags with this firm they're rewarded awarding well there's a lot of big red flags for me personally first of all mr cooley um, is the founder and still current owner. His LLC is still in his name, which is over uh, Manatee Herald. Folks, if you're not familiar with that, you might want to give it a gander. I usually don't like to plug places like that, but it is comically absurd. It's basically a propaganda site that was created to run cover for this county commission. It well, came out we, with and, that. And we just mentioned, you know, Bob Spesser showing up to yeah. give public comment very recently on this veterans um Right, apartment right. complex. He's the new publisher, and he's a new publisher, right. but under Cooley, as I said, Cooley still owns the outlet. Um, so there's that. There's I, also I'm not even sure what the ownership of it is. It's it's a website. It's a website with it doesn't have regular reporting. It's owned by like Media Solutions LLC. Right, but my point is, is that like it's not like it's an outfit like this. It's not like an actual. I'm assuming that maybe the LLC was created for any sort of liability should there ever yes, be a that, lawsuit. that's my point. Or, so, yeah. But, but what I'm saying is it doesn't like report news every day. Like, no. Or it, it basically has like feeds and stuff into it. And then... Op-eds. Op-eds or just fawning PR pieces yeah. telling you how great your Manatee County Commission is. And in fact, Bob Spencer's recent op-eds were against the veterans housing, uh, in favor of cutting the wetland policy. Mm -hmm. So basically whatever the board's going to do, it sort of gives maybe a link that looks like it's real news saying, oh, here's why this, right. you know, here's the other side of the story, so uh, to speak. Bob Spencer also right. famously wrote a, a long-winded piece um, touting the great success and wonder that was Scott Hopes yes. after yes. some red flags were raised there. It was an interesting <laughs> bit of write-up. So, so that's one connection. Now, also based on... Facebook, social media, and what I hear in political circles. Commissioner Cruz, Commissioner Van Austin Bridge, and I, I feel like there's another commissioner in that mix, and Mr. Cooley all did, um, what is the Manatee leadership? Leadership Manatee yeah. together. Um, they all were the same graduating class of that and apparently became pretty good friends through that that process. I know he's on several of their uh, campaign finance reports he he is and um social media posts show that it looks as though he was physically out there waving signs for at least van austin bridge well another let me throw another thing in there that i'm not sure if you're aware if you think back to when they fired sherry Corrier mm -hmm. and they were bouncing around what they were going to do in terms of a national search and they had to find an interim his name i have it directly from one of the commissioners, uh, I won't say, somebody that was on the board told me that his name was floated as the interim and that it was mm. going to be problematic, though, because he had donated to several of the candidates that would be voting <laughs> him in for interim. So, again, you have all these things together and mm -hmm. you look at it and you say, okay, all these things were missing in the process there's all these red flags in terms of the relationship. Mm -hmm. Now go into the part, so we could wrap it up, go into the part about real why, red, this, real why red this might flags. not, yeah, yeah, why this might not be <laughs> the, legitimate. The even scarier but, red flags. Yes. So as I explained about Gallagher and, and their experience, if you go to Mr. Cooley's website, Secure HR, 
uh, it seemed evident right off the bat that its main uh, function or, or services was in um, payroll, payroll yeah. and which is where his background and also is some yeah. insurance, like employee insurance, yeah. workman's comp, this sort of thing. Well, that's that's all involved in that. So that that's something for people who don't know about employee leasing that was invented in Florida, I think in Bradenton, in fact, and it's a concept on which small businesses can technically lease their employees through another company, and then that way. Uh, it kind of pools together so that your HR and even healthcare and stuff like that can be can, can be done differently than the way that uh, than trying to do it, that stuff in house. So, go right. so employee so, leasing was his was his his background. That's what he is. And, and information in. provided right there on yeah. his website when you scroll down tells you it's either four or five employees is what is yeah. secure HR, okay? Four or five employees, and that would count Mr. Cooley. Right. Versus a company with international- A large corporation, right. Uh, correct. Um, and then the other thing that seemed evident was they mainly serviced for for private sector small business, right? And, and this goes back to what I was saying about the important things to note about the difference between private sector, public sector, where it comes to matters of HR. Now- on the website, interestingly, there is a tab for like media updates or in-house business mm -hmm. updates. And on September, was it September 14th, I believe it was, there's like this, this presser that they put out explaining that they've now got this Secure HR Pro, which is this new introduction of in-house services for large, complex organizations. This was put on the website weeks after the county gave them the award, the contract to take over a large complex organization um, or to provide services to. There are many little things like that along the way. I think the most concerning one that I came upon in my work, however, is going back to what I was saying about the liabilities of all of this. One of the requirements within procurement is that in order for this award, this agreement to be accepted by Mr. Cooley, there needed first to be on record certificate of insurance covering liability up upwards of million or over a million for various points of coverage. And when I requested those documents, um, what I received, the first one, was dated the day after I asked for it. Mm, interesting. So, and I also know because I received- One would expect that that was already in place long before you asked for it, it but go ahead. <laughs> per the rules, it right. needed to be. What is most concerning to me is that there had already also been an invoice turned in, a request for payment of $10,000 for the first part of the payment for Mr. Cooley's work, his company's work. That tells me, presumably- that those four or five employees had somehow been up in the county's mm -hmm. department doing some sort of an assessment, going through personnel files and doing whatever they're doing without even being insured. That is not okay. <laughs> that is really not okay. And if you are going to tell me that or, or pretend that someone is uniquely qualified, overqualified to provide this specific sort of service to the county that the public taxpayers should pay for it through a single source, non-competitive bidding process, 
and they can't even manage to get their insurance certificate in on time to make sure that we're not I mean, covering there, their liability. There was some things with the two different LLCs there as well. Is, yeah. th- and that is a big problem too. There's there's many different records that are supposed to be on file. Another one is a, is a W-9 for, for tax purposes. The W-9 is in the name of Secure HR LLC. That is the name of the LLC that was given the agreement, the contract mm-hmm. award. The invoice that came to the county for the $10,000 is coming from Secure HR Pro LLC. That is the new thing that Secure HR was offering that is a service for large complex organizations. What's more is when I went to understand, is this just like a, hey, I offer pet services and over here I I walk cats and dogs or, you know, is it all in the same umbrella? So when I looked in Sunbiz, it apparently is not because as of August 1, Secure HR Pro became a registered LLC of its own. Interestingly, according to Sunbiz, it does not have an EIN. Who was the insurance policy with? Well, there's what, Secure HR Pro? Well, well, so there's two. Uh, <laughs> the first one I got, the first one I received per my record request uh, came the day after I requested or two days after I requested it. It was dated October 5th and it was for Secure, uh, Secure HR Pro. And then, and I was told there's another one coming, hold up, we're, we're working on getting a copy of the other. And that came later in the day and it was dated the same day it was produced to me. And that one was... So it sounds a like insurance your certificate rec- for secure HR pro your requests were what instigated the T's getting crossed and the I's getting dotted. That that's all I could surmise, but understand this folks. So this is exactly why those procurement processes are in place because this looks like an instance of, Hey, if we bid this out and we go through our procurement department, this company that we're with is probably going to get this contract and they're probably the most qualified for it and they're probably going to do it most efficiently. But we have a friend mm-hmm. who's been very good to us who kind of does something similar on a much smaller scale. We'd like to just give him the contract instead. Mm-hmm. That's what's supposed to not happen. And we'd like to just like write a check, a big one, for some big services about an assessment and working towards something and we're, but we're, we're gonna write this check off they're not supposed to be able to take your money write checks to their friends and just mm-hmm. say we hire them because the board likes them all these things are in place so that the taxpayers are protected uh let me go back to let me shift back to one thing real quick before we go uh i would be remiss if i didn't say i talked about how bad last wednesday's meeting was commissioner james satcher and commissioner bearden's behavior Tuesday's meeting was probably a close second place. What they put through the Tunnels for Tower Mm -hmm. representatives and the way they badgered and berated them. And for Commissioner Bearden to talk about it's, oh, I'm a veteran and it's because I'm, again, I'll say it, wear that as a badge all you want, but your behavior will say way more Mm -hmm. than your your DD-214 does, buddy. And you were a disgrace to veterans on Tuesday. And when you came back after lunch and cried those crocodile tears when you brought them back up and talked about how you wanted to partner and change your mind and trust them and all that, it was nonsense. You tried to tank the deal, you lost. And that was an embarrassment that, you know, as a fellow veteran, I was, I I won't say I was embarrassed by it because I've, I've given up any, you know, 
uh, inclination that you might do the right thing for your constituents? Veteran or no veteran. Veteran or no veteran. Veteran or no veteran. It was the way, I agree, the way that Bearden and Satcher addressed them. And and it was accusatory, largely, about all sorts of things. And cutting off, not getting answers, not allowing them to reply. And all kinds of anecdotal. Yes. And and I'm not going to allege, but. But (laughs) All right. We've got more of that at thebradentotimes.com. We've got a great midweek uh, update that just came out today. And join us Sunday for thebradentotimes.com. Fact-based news and analysis without an agenda.